Thank you, choir. Praise his name. I want to begin with a quote from the very famous Christian text, The Imitation of Christ, by Thomas Akempis. In this text, Akempis writes, At the day of judgment, we shall be asked not what we have read, but what we have done. I've been thinking a lot about this distinction lately in terms of the life of the church. And in particular, it's really on my mind since today does mark the one-year anniversary of the protests and counter-protests in Charlottesville. Uh, And of course, as you may have heard on the news, they're gathering again in Washington, D.C. for another white supremacist rally. And it just has me all thinking that we in the church do a lot of good jobs reading a lot of good books and saying a lot of nice things, but... What does it actually look like lived out that we can live in a country where this is still happening? Uh, and so this, this tension between reading and actually doing is something that's really on my mind a lot. And, and I want us to dig into this idea of what does it mean to practice our faith? What does it mean to be spiritually transformed so that it changes our life? And so uh, there's a lot of good stuff in the text this morning that can lead to it, but we're going to primarily be focusing on that passage from Ephesians chapters 4 and 5. And with a nod to Thomas Akempis, I've titled this sermon, The Imitation of Christ. Please pray with me. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips be acceptable to you, O God. Send your living word to walk amongst us now to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. Amen. There is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. Perhaps you've heard this phrase before. Perhaps you've used it from time to time. People toss it around often when they hear of some sort of new or peculiar gadget or trend. Oh, you're doing that now? There is nothing new under the sun. Oh my goodness, Apple has a new iPhone? There is nothing new under the sun. You see how it goes. But this statement, there's nothing new under the sun, is actually from the scriptures. Did you know that? The book of Ecclesiastes, not read very often, not studied as often as you'd like, but in this book, it talks about, not about how much humans have accomplished, that's not why the phrase is used, rather it's about the ways in which everything, all of creation, comes from God. There is nothing new under the sun because everything is but a reflection of God our creator. Everything good is in some way an imitation of God in heaven. And it's funny because we usually think of imitation as a bad thing. I was kind of talking about that in the children's sermon. Let me give you a really clear story. My oldest daughter is six years old. Her name's Evelyn. You've all met her before. And she is a very independent young girl. She likes to read by herself. She likes to play games. But most of the time, she's just very calm and well-mannered. Most of the time. But as you know, here's where it gets tricky. My daughter Evelyn has a younger brother named Solomon, and Solomon's four. And at some point over the course of this summer, actually, Solomon has figured out that the absolute fastest way to get his oldest sister to lose her cool is to imitate her. 
It's amazing. It's like he now possesses this horrible superpower that will turn my sweet, kind daughter Evelyn into a furious, screaming mess. All Solomon has to do to enrage his older sister is mimic her. If he mimics her three times or so, oh, it's over. Evelyn will say something like, I want to eat lunch, please. And Solomon, in the same tone and cadence, will say, I want to eat lunch, please. And she'll say, stop copying me. And he'll say, stop copying me. And it devolves from there. Oh, yes, we've all played that game. And even though Solomon has been hit by Evelyn in response to this, even though Evelyn has yelled at him, even though he's been disciplined by myself and my wife, for some reason he still chooses to mimic his sister at least once a day. Oh yeah, it happened this morning. Good morning, Nate. And you can bet that every time that he chooses to mimic his sister in this way, you can bet that everything at the Prisinger household quickly falls apart. But why is it that this type of mimicking makes us so upset? Solomon has mimicked me from time to time, and I understand why his sister is so perturbed by it. And I also remember that when I was a kid, my younger sister would copy me. Not in this same really annoying way that Solomon does, but what my younger sister would do is she would just choose the same things I did. Oh, I want the grape popsicle, Mom. And then she would choose the grape popsicle. Oh, I'm going to wear my red shirt today. And then she would wear a red shirt. And for whatever reason, this bothered me to no end. Why is it that imitation makes us so upset? As we get older, maybe we come to deal with it more and more. We just get more comfortable with it. But the truth remains that imitation is still seen as a bad thing in our world. You've got to have your own style. You've got to have your own tastes. You've got to be unique and original. Otherwise, you're just the same old, same old. And certainly in the world of academics or the world of music or technology, if you copy someone else... It's called plagiarism or intellectual property theft. From every angle that I look at it, imitation looks like a bad thing. But the truth, Reformation, the truth is that all of our life is merely an imitation. There is nothing new under the sun. And in fact, our role as Christians is to be imitators of Christ. Author Cornelius Plantinga said it quite succinctly. He says, Whereas modern criticism views imitation as bad, it is the normal way in the New Testament. Only God is truly original. All else is derivative and reflective. Saints are not moral or spiritual geniuses. They are imitators. I love that last part best, right? Saints are not moral or spiritual geniuses. They are imitators. You see, Reformation, it all starts with God. There's nothing new under the sun. There's no new set of morals. There's no new way of living. There's no new calling for our lives. God has already set all of those pieces in place long before we took our first breath. It all starts with God. It all comes from God. And our job is to simply imitate the characteristics of God, our creator. The problem, though, the problem is that we so often avoid imitating our heavenly father. You know what I'm talking about? When you tell a little white lie to make yourself look better. When you cheat maybe just a little bit in order to get ahead and get a leg up. 
when you talk about other people behind their back so that you'll look better, or you spread rumors about someone else that you know aren't 100% true, none of these are God-like behaviors. And yet they happen all too often for all of us. And church, we need to look carefully in the mirror and notice the places where we're falling victim to this type of sinful behavior. It is so common in our world and even more common in our churches for us to fall prey to this tendency where we try to make ourselves look better by lying and cheating and rumors and gossip. It's important for us to stay on guard against these seemingly small sins. That's part of what I want to address in this sermon today. But I don't want to stop there either. I don't want this just to be a sermon about how we need to be morally better. I don't want this to just be another to-do list of behaviors that we all need in order to make the cut. Because the life of faith is about so much more than a list of things that you should and shouldn't do. Unfortunately, though, I've heard a lot of sermons and I've read a lot of books that try to boil our life of faith down into simple to-do lists. And you know, sometimes when you just read parts of the Bible here and there, it can seem that way. There's a list of things that you need to believe or things that you need to do, things that you shouldn't do, and that's that. Call it a day. Our reading from Ephesians this morning looks a lot like a to-do list. Why don't we look at that passage again? It's page 171 in your New Testament, if you have the Pew Bibles. You can pull out your cell phones, too. There's Bibles on there these days. Uh, If you brought your own Bible, uh, bonus points. You'll get a free gift after the church service. Uh, (laughs) But we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 25. And I want you to just realize how much this sounds like a to-do list. That this is what you have to do to be a good Christian. And and we're going to look at it and realize that there's actually so much more to it than that. Here's what uh, the author writes. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing rather than let the labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. I'm counting 13 instructions there. But to this point, it all might sound like a to-do list. Don't do this. Don't do that. And if you just stop reading there, that might be your takeaway. Well, God's got a list of demands and I better follow all 13. But it's the next verse, verse 32, that turns this all on its head. Verse 32 reads, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. This whole list in Ephesians chapter 4, it isn't a list of stuff we have to do. It's a list of what Christ has already done for us. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. 
In other words, church, there is nothing new under the sun. All the moral guidelines that Christians create when they read the scriptures, these long lists of behaviors that we all need to have, they are actually just a list of God's character. We are to forgive because God is forgiving. We are to be merciful and kind because God is merciful and kind. You see, Reformation, we're called not to lie because God never lies. We're called not to cheat because God never cheats. We're called not to gossip and use our words for evil because God's word is never evil. And we're called to forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven us. As I've been saying from the beginning, it all starts with God. It starts with what God has done for us. And when you realize just how much God has given you and how much God has done for you and the Holy Spirit gets into your life, well, then you just can't help but imitate the compassion and love of this good and gracious God. Saints are not moral or spiritual geniuses. They are imitators. Saints know deep within their soul who God is and what God has done. And so as a result, they can't help but be agents of mercy and love in the world. Because there exists this compulsion in each of us. It's part of what it means to be human. Saints are so grateful for what God has done that they simply imitate that grace to others. It's like when someone gives you a great gift and you just feel compelled to give them a hug or to send them a thank you card. You can't help but respond to the gift that's been given you. I was reminded of this this past week. Um, As many of you know, I was out of town attending my grandfather's funeral. And it was a really beautiful service and a really fitting tribute to a truly great man. My grandfather was a Lutheran pastor who dedicated his entire life to serving inner-city congregations. His entire career was focused on building up churches in areas where there was great need. And even after he retired, my grandfather was still, he found ways to support the poor and the hungry and the homeless and the imprisoned. And after the funeral, after we had remembered all of this and remembered Christ's promises for my grandfather, the family all gathered back at the house where we were staying. And it was all of my grandfather's children, all five of them, and then all of his grandchildren. All made it out for this. And what we did is we stood in a circle and we each shared a memory, just one, of our grandfather. And as we each in turn shared these memories, it was so clear that despite all my grandfather's imperfections, he still meant so much to each of us. And some of the stories were funny and some of the stories were seeped. Sweet, but it was so clear that every person really just loved and appreciated this man. And eventually, as we made our way around the room and sharing memories, we got to my Uncle James. Now, my Uncle James is my grandfather's third son. And you know how everyone has like a crazy uncle? That's my Uncle James. And he would be fine with me telling you this. True story. My Uncle James runs a small store in a small town in Oregon called The Wacky Warehouse. And he is literally known in his town as Dr. Wacky, okay? I'm not making this up. This is how he refers to himself. He's like, hey, your Uncle Wacky here. Anyways, so this is my crazy uncle, and he would be okay if I told you that. But when it was Uncle James's turn to share a memory, he told a funny story from his childhood. And then he said with tears in his eyes, 
And I appreciate so much all that my dad did for me. And so I'm just trying to carry on his legacy by helping others wherever I can. My wacky uncle is so grateful for all that my grandpa has done that he's committed to imitating him and carrying on his legacy. I hear lots of people talk like this at funerals. But we need to ask ourselves, if parents and grandparents and friends can inspire us like this, then Christ should inspire us all the more. Christ has done so much for us, and so in gratitude for Christ's work, we should be imitators of Christ. There's a popular camp song that says, we love because he first loved us. We love others because Christ first loved us. And we forgive others because Christ first forgave us. We use our words for good, not gossip, because that's what Christ did. We are kind and merciful because Christ has shown kindness and mercy beyond measure. It all starts with God and what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And then we are called to imitate that, to be everyday saints to one another. I want to conclude just by saying this. We can get so caught up in trying to figure out what the to-do list is, trying to figure out what we must do to earn God's favor. But the truth of the gospel, church, is that we don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. God loves you exactly the way you are, even when you mess it up, even when you don't get it right. But so then... The call for spiritual growth, the way to grow closer in your walk with Christ, is actually quite simple. It just involves getting to know God more fully. Don't look for a to-do list of what you should do. Read the scriptures, come to church, and listen for what God is like. What are the characteristics of God? As you discover and unearth more and more about who God is, you will be moved to gratitude for all that God has done. And in that gratitude, you'll be moved to imitate God in your own way. That's the pathway to spiritual growth. Grow in your gratitude for what Christ has done for you, and you'll also come to imitate Christ more and more each day, just as you've been called to. Amen.